welcome again to a mixed bipolar life, living with ultra ultra rapid cycling mixed bipolar disorder. Hey guys, today's a very very special podcast because I have a guest podcaster. Um, her name is Kelly. Kelly, say hi. Hi. And Kelly also suffers from bipolar disorder. Um, in a sec, she's going to tell you guys a little bit more about her symptoms. Um, first, I wanted to go ahead and do my check-in since I uh, do that every time. Um, check-in on where I'm feeling. So today's today's not a bad day. Um, I'm real restless, though. Um, uh, I don't feel too depressed yet. Um you know, I may cycle this evening as I have been doing. Um, I've had some couple of really, really bad um, evenings this past week. I've been I've been cycling every day. I'm still literally don't know what each day is going to bring. Um, but I did get up early today and I don't know why I'm waking up earlier. There's something that's changed and I haven't quite figured it out yet because usually I'm I'm sleeping in more. Um, maybe I'm just not sleeping that well. I've had a lot of nightmares, so that could be it and why I'm just waking up earlier. But the point being about waking up earlier that I've made in the past is that sleep deprivation actually can improve mood. So that could be why I'm feeling better today. Okay, enough of that. Okay, Kelly, so um, why don't you start out and tell listeners what your diagnosis is and then just kind of go from there telling them what your life is like and has been like for however long just give us the story okay here's my story um well my diagnosis is bipolar uh bipolar one specifically but i do have rapid cycling features and I also struggle with borderline personality disorder and generalized anxiety disorder. So got a few things going on there. Well, most of us do. Exactly. <laughs> we all have something or multiple things. But um, I was diagnosed when I was 26. Totally hated my diagnosis. Avoided it. Didn't want to admit it. You know, I, I convinced the doctor that I didn't have bipolar. <laughs> that was my borderline talking because we were very manipulative. And, um, or we can be very manipulative with borderline personality disorder. So I had him convinced that I didn't have bipolar. But to make a long story short, well, I'm did. actually curious though. Can yeah. you just tell us how you did that? I, I just was like, you know, I'm not, I, I, I'm not depressed and I'm not, you know, crying under a table all day and I'm not, you know, on the top of a building thinking I can fly. I mean, I was thinking the worst stigma. Of this disease yeah and um, I wasn't thinking of all of the years that I spent in depression and in hypomania because I simply didn't know about it I was completely uneducated about mental illness and um, I just tried to talk him out of it because it was so scary to me to think that I could have bipolar disorder yeah I didn't want to have bipolar disorder and um, who does who does <laughs> and throughout the years I've learned to acknowledge it as the gift that it is because, you know, learning about bipolar and being in it has made me so much more empathetic towards people in general. 
I, you know, I acknowledge and I appreciate how creative I am. You know, the hypomania can be a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) I enjoy hypomania. But, um, you know, I've just come to appreciate the gifts that it offers. In fact, I had a a blog for a a while, Bipolar Blessings. This was years ago. And it was really looking at, seriously, all the blessings that come with a bipolar diagnosis. If we stop and really look at it. That's wonderful. Yeah, it was really good. It was from a biblical perspective too. So every every um, blog posting had a um, scripture to go with it. Wow. Yeah. So Is it still up? I've taken it down. Oh, I think you should put it back I up. Know. I know. I have everything and I took it down and I took it down because of the stigma around surrounding mental illness and bipolar because um, I was job hunting. Oh, you used your real name. I use my real name on everything. I blog. That's brave. I blog online. I I write with Bipolar Magazine. I blog with them. I'm a blogger for them. And um, if you Google my name, all of my bipolar stuff comes up. Hmm. You know. So you know, a few years ago, I took everything down because I was very very open in that blog about different things that I had been through, and different struggles that I had had with bipolar. But um, I learned to, my little son is walking by right now. You're supposed to be in your room, little boy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we'll edit that out. (laughs) Um, But essentially, um, I've, I've taken time to write a lot about my illness. And that's been very healing for me. It's been um, life-changing to write about it and to blog about it and to share. And can you, because we're getting, you know, really good high-level description of your bipolar disorder, but can you be more specific with people? Like, for instance, when you were first diagnosed what symptoms did you actually have mm-hmm. um, and what you know what is it like for you to have bipolar what does that look like because like for me um, you know my my podcast and my blog focuses on mixed mm-hmm. bipolar disorder with rapid cycles and of course mixed means I have both up and down symptoms at the same time um, but my audience has no idea what you go through um, so, um, sorry, I know I interrupted you, but I think it'd be really helpful for them to know what bipolar disorder looks like to you, yeah. you know, first. Absolutely. And it's changed throughout the years. You know, mm-hmm. when I was younger, it looked like, um, agitated depression. Um, so it, I did have manic and, um, depressive cycles simultaneously or within the same day. So I was a rapid cycler. From the time that I was young, um, I would just be really sad or really low, um, just kind of feeling like I wasn't doing anything or accomplishing anything or meeting my goals or things that other people had set out for me to do, and I wasn't living up to their expectations. Yet at the same time, I had delusions of grandiosity where I was just immensely talented. I am talented, but I was much more talented right. in my brain. Than... Now, are you saying at the same time, are you saying that maybe you were mixed or you are yeah, mixed? Yeah, I am mixed. Oh, well, yeah. this is perfect. It's, it is perfect. I didn't know that. Um, 
for those of you that didn't hear my last podcast, Kelly and I are actually in a support group together. That's how we met. But I never knew that she was mixed. It's funny because I always introduce myself as someone who has bipolar 2 mixed, ultra, ultra rapid cycler. Um, so, okay, good yes. to know. Perfect for the podcast. Yeah. I picked, the, I, I see, I picked the perfect person. That's why I love your podcast. I completely relate to it. And I, um, I've gone through those episodes where, you know, at the same time, you're so depressive, you have suicidal ideations, yet I'm like, but I'm going to make $100,000 this year. I'm going to make $200,000 this year. It's like, you know, just kind of like one minute I, I hate myself and the next minute I love myself. And sometimes it occurs at the same time. It's very confusing, especially for a young girl. It is very confusing. Yeah. And, um, you know, I had those symptoms. What really brought my symptoms to light was dating somebody seriously and, and getting engaged to them and having them live with my symptomology. It wasn't my family members who were, you know, they were like, oh, that's just Kelly. Mm -hmm. It was an an outsider coming in and saying, I think we have a problem here. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh, okay, uh, maybe I should look at this. So when I started dating- But you were functional. I was functioning. I was definitely functioning. I, I did get sick a lot physically. Okay. And so, you know, mental illness uh, can can move into the body in a variety of ways. Um, I, I mean, I took a semester off of college um, due to mononucleosis, but really I was going through intensely manic stages at that time and um, got, got sick from staying up all night, oh, um, okay. being promiscuous. You know, kissing every boy in college. <laughs> and so kissing I got all the, prince, the frogs to see yes. if they turn into a prince. Yeah, nobody turned into a prince. <laughs> um, but it was interesting because I, I did have that where I was dating a lot and um, trying to find something to fill me. Mm-hmm. Because going back to the borderline, I had had a, a biological father that left me at a very young age. And feelings of abandonment have always been prevalent for me. Now, my mother remarried when I was five years old to an amazing man, and he just died last year. But he raised me as his own, and he raised my siblings as well. So he was just an amazing person. But there's a hole that sometimes can't be filled when you have that um, primary parent having them leave you. Yeah. And I never knew him. And um, it was always just a big hole. Like, what had I done? Was I not good enough? So, unfortunately, what, what children think. It's yeah. not logical as adults, but as children, we, we wonder what we did wrong. We totally internalize. And we think, you know, was I not good enough? And it, and it led to feelings of not being enough in my life over and over. And also looking to fill that hole with relationships. Mm-hmm. especially relationships right. with men. So you you know you kind of go from you bounce from relationship to relationship trying to fill that empty space and until you recognize it for what it is nothing can fill it. Mm-hmm. Nothing can fill it. So, you know, I met my husband when I was 25. Um we dated for about a year and um he he really could see that we struggled in our relationship. 
And I, I could see that. I was constantly um, agitated, mm. yet depressed at the same time. That agitated depression yeah. was showing up. And we started going to premarital counseling because I thought it was just stress from, you know, I had finished college. I had a very high pressure job that I was promoted into at a very young age. And um, we were both making a lot of money. I mean, hand over fist, you know, and um, but but there was something just missing. It's like I had this great guy, but it wasn't good enough. And um, and I was constantly going through the depressive stages of not being enough. So um, what part, if you can even answer this, what part do you think in that insecurity of never feeling like you're good enough, mm -hmm. what part was the depression versus the, the psychological, right, from your experiences, sort of nature versus nurture? Mm, that's a good question. You know, I think that it really came with the situation of being abandoned by a primary parent that started that thought of not being enough. And then the loss of that started to lead to behaviors where it was a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know? And, um, you know, you look at depression and you look at bipolar and it's a chemical, you know, disorder mm -hmm. too. And so... <laughs> Um, I struggled with migraine headaches a lot when I was younger. I struggled with um, those feelings of worthlessness and those ups and downs that were, you know, the rapid cycling. And um, that would always, like, strengthen that idea that I had that I wasn't enough because it was like, there's something wrong with me. It, the depression reinforces. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, it was interesting because we started our um, marital counseling, my husband and I, when I was 25 and 26. And it was really that counselor that encouraged me to go see a psychiatrist. And she really thought a lot of me. I thought a lot of her. She she enjoyed working with my husband and I. But she said, I think that there's something deeper at play here. And I think that you should talk to a psychiatrist. And... Um, Basically, she was telling me, girl, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> it's not just your husband. <laughs> but, um, you know, I went to that psychiatrist and he was the one that diagnosed me as bipolar. That's, that's actually very similar to my story. Mm -hmm. I was going to counseling with a boyfriend mm -hmm. and the counselor suggested that I go see a psychiatrist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, in my wildest dreams, I never would have guessed that she thought I was bipolar. I think she knew that I had problems with anxiety. Uh -huh. um, um, but, uh, you know, I went to the psychiatrist and was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And um, I believed it for a while until I was over-medicated. Yeah. Um, but the interesting thing, the reason why I asked you that question was because after I was over-medicated, I decided I'm not bipolar. They don't know what they're talking about mm -hmm. because of the medication. I went from functional to non-functional because I was mm -hmm. over-medicated mm -hmm. with mood stabilizers that basically turned me into a vegetable. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, it really was that bad um, wow. uh, at some points. But um, uh, I decided after that that it was all psychological, that it was all nurture. Um, which 
And one hand was good because I did end up going to counseling mm-hmm. um, full time um, regularly, um, but unfortunately not until my um, was it late late twenties. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say. Um, well, I guess that's not too late, but it, it just seems like it took forever to get to where I am here, yeah. and it did. Um, but uh, I really focused first on my self esteem. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because when I first started working on my self-esteem and I actually worked with a psychologist who did her thesis on this self-esteem program that she created and um, it, it really worked. Um, it was through hypnosis and, and not what people think hypnosis is, not where she's like dang, dangling, you know, a, a, a what do you, pocket watch. watch in front of me. <laughs> You're getting um, sleepy. <laughs> yeah, but it was more like affirmations. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I did a workbook, so I, there was homework um, that focused on your positive qualities and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, so, uh, but anyways, it actually did work. And But the funny thing was, at the time, I thought that my self-esteem was lower than anyone else's. Mm-hmm. And then when I started working on my self-esteem, I, I started realizing noticing others and their reactions that they were also insecure a lot of other people were insecure so um, my whole point here is that um, I went many many years without medication but working on myself through counseling and building up my self-esteem and and believing that it was just that and not chemical until finally I had to, you know, got to a point where I got so bad, I had to accept the fact that um, it was chemical. And interestingly, uh, interestingly enough, my um, girlfriend um, from high school, my, one of my best friends in high school at a reunion, she, she said, oh yeah, I noticed your cycling in high school. Yeah. And, and like you said, the family, you know, they, everyone thought that was normal, except for people outside of the family. A couple people had told my mom that they thought I was hyperactive. Hmm. Uh, differently, I mean, I remember experiencing depression as a child, um, and I and I obviously cycled because, um, and maybe I was mixed too because I had so much energy as mm-hmm. a child. That's the one thing. Like, and and definitely even on a videotape we have me like talking so fast. Aww. So so rapid. But I remember the dep- like feeling like I was born depressed as well. Mm-hmm. So that's somewhat similar to what you say is like I had both the high and energy and the mood and the rapid speech, but it also had depression um going mm-hmm. on as well. Um, My family would always say that I was just extremely dramatic. And (laughs) of course, I went into drama in high school. I mean, I did sports and things like that at the encouragement of my family, but my heart was in the arts. Hmm. And I think they hated the fact that I did drama because they said that I used to take on the characters in my plays. And um, which I think is bunk. You know, I mean, no, that (laughs) didn't happen. But they just saw me as being extremely dramatic up and down and all over the place Mm. it was early symptoms of bipolar right right but you know it's it's interesting too because your story when you were medicated they put you on a mood stabilizer that made you flat my story is they put me on an antidepressant (sighs) so i became extremely manic right 
And within a few years of marrying my husband, we started investing in real estate. We also inherited some real estate from his parents who had passed just six months before I met him. And um, we just love to spend. (laughs) And um, unchecked, I've, I've come to realize that that's part of my symptomology is unchecked spending. Yeah. And um, in it's the not for me, it's not you don't feel the consequences or you don't recognize the consequences, right? Yes, well, it, it went along with that grandiosity of right. I'm rich, I'm rich, ah. you know. I mean, we had beautiful homes and decorated to the nines, and we were burning through cash. And, um, you know, to find yourself at the age of 30 as a millionaire isn't normal, you know. It's, well, it might be more normal where we live, but... Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I'm but, just teasing. But, um, it, it but was absolutely, just, I get it, that. We yeah. had all these resources at our disposal, and unfortunately, my husband was very soft-spoken. He kind of took a back seat to my decision-making, and my decision-making was not sane. Mm. And so we, you know, bought a hundred or a million dollar house that in the um, depression that hit in like 2006 to 2008, we lost $500,000 in value in a few months time down in Southern California. And and we started to lose assets. It was at that time um, in those years that I decided to start a company um, that I had no business starting, poured $500,000 oh, wow. into that, and the company flopped. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, it was, but but this is the danger of hypomania and mania, and this is why I have a bipolar 1 diagnosis. Um, I have experienced significant losses due to my poor decision-making, either in d- depression or mania. And what would happen is to correct that mania, I would start going through all the guilt of spending or losing all this Mm -hmm. money. And then I would go into a huge depression that could last, you know, six to eight months. And so the cycle started because you, you notice as the years go on that your mania and your depression is very cyclical. Right. And, um, I, I started seeing the patterns in my bipolar at that time. So Kelly, um, one of the things I really like to do in my podcast is focus on symptomology Mm -hmm. because um, my goal for, I guess, a couple goals for starting this and one was educating people about first what I go through, that was friends and family, and then it led to this podcast, it led to the blog that got bigger and then the podcast where I want to educate people on what it's like to experience mixed bipolar disorder um, and to help people either recognize it in themselves or recognize it in others. So can you share with us, you know, get into, a little, get into some more details about what your symptoms look like mm-hmm. and the kind of things, how you feel and the kind of things that you do? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, you know, one of the things I had mentioned before is I was put on an antidepressant, right. which led to mania. Which hypomania. antidepressant? Um, Remember? Which? Lexapro? 
Okay. I think was one of the first ones that I so was on. So serotonin and norepinephrine. Mm-hmm. And so it was interesting because that is what was very instrumental with me in my spending sprees. Mm. Um, feeling like I had to have a bigger home. I had to, have, you know, people would take me more seriously and, you know, I, I just had to have more and more. And um, it, there was a lot of ego in it, but but it was symptomology. It was, it was wanting right. and spending and having it available to spend was very dangerous for me. Now, how come the doctor, your psychiatrist, wasn't recognizing that the antidepressant made you hypomanic? Well, you know, one um, of the things with people who are hypomanic I find is that they can be very charismatic very charming mm-hmm. very convincing and very confident very confident and this is one of the nothing's wrong yeah this is one of the traits that I exhibited and so people I had had a lot of successes in my career um, I had worked for a global uh, hospitality company and grown my career with them and was one of the youngest directors of sales and marketing that had ever been hired for this global company. And so I was kind of like this, you know, young prodigy. <laughs> and um, I was very talented. I, you know, I was very good at what I did. But, you know, with the mania, when I took it a step further and was like, oh, I'm going to quit this great job and I'm going to start my own company. Mm, right. Yeah. Because, you know, those feelings of grandiosity mm-hmm. and that I was like brilliant and I had all these, you know, flight of ideas. Um, and so much confidence that everything's going to work out fine. Everything was going to work out fine. No consequences. No consequences. And we put our all of our retirement money on the line. And and I was just very convincing. And I convinced my husband that this was a good idea convinced my family that it was a good idea, convinced myself that it was a good idea. And, um, you know, and I just leapt. I leapt off this huge mountain with no supports. And, um, I mean, ultimately, we did lose everything. And Sorry to hear that. Yeah, it, w- it, was, it was sad. It was sad. And interestingly enough, you know, I'm happier now. Having less, it's yeah. stressful. But... Um, I, I have to constantly be checking my spending. So Kelly, I'm, I'm really interested in hearing more about when you said that you've become a better person mm-hmm. even with less. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, that's also a really important point. And um, I don't know if how much I, I, I've talked about it. So. Um, which makes me think I should talk about it more, maybe in my next <laughs> podcast. But um, uh, yeah, w- you know, I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, well, you know, when you have less, you start to be a lot more creative and a lot more resourceful and a lot more uh, careful. And before, when I had a bottomless, you know, bank account, it seemed you know, everything I wanted, I could have. And there's a lot of character building when you don't get what you want. You know, a lot of character building Mm -hmm. happens there. And, um, you know, for the, for the few years that followed 2008, we just sustained so many losses. Our marriage was strained. 
um, we had to start living more frugally and um, because that bank account had dwindled. And, um, but I think one of the most devastating things was, was the loss of our marriage and the stress that came along with it. We didn't make it. And, um, you know, one of the things is my, my husband chose not to be with me because the bipolar was too much. It was too much for him. You weren't medicated at this time? No, I was or on were you, antidepressants. You were on the antidepressants. Which made me more manic and agitated. Mm, yeah. Because those mixed features, right. it came out as agitated <clears throat> depression. So I was always frustrated with them. Uh, spoke down to him. Was very um, condescending. And, um, that, and let's mention also that irritability that also can come with hypomania or oh, mania. Absolutely, absolutely, and um, and that that thing in me that was like I'm better than you, mm. and those were feelings of grandiosity. And um, what I started working on as our marriage started to unravel was. Um, really myself and how I was speaking to other people around me, how I was viewing the world around me. And um, I started doing some transformational therapy and it was really valuable in that I started to deal with the borderline and I started to feel deal with those feelings of loss and that feeling of having to have something to fill that hole. And um, so working on the, that borderline symptomology was really key. And, um, and then having those up and down cycles being so dramatic, um, I started to really see that I had a need for a different kind of medication. And that's when I learned that I was really manic, uh, primarily. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and a doctor that I went to at this time um, explained to me that I needed to be on a mood stabilizer, something to kind of cap the high mm -hmm. and to keep me from going too low. Mm -hmm. right. And so good doctor, very good doctor. And that was uh, the first time that a mood stabilizer had been recommended to me. And when was that? This is in 2010. So, so not too long ago. The challenge was, is I was in the middle of a separation, mm. lost my insurance, mm. and uh, yes, didn't that have was that was before. Yeah, I was in the same place before Obamacare. I couldn't before, get covered. Yep, yep. I couldn't get covered there, because of pre-existing conditions. Yep. Sadly, yep. so I was without insurance and without medication then, and that's when things got really bad. That's when things you couldn't got afford really to pay bad. out of pocket. No, no. I, we had the the losses were just too significant I mean I didn't have two nickels to rub together I was mm -hmm. you know after a while I was on public assistance mm -hmm. um, after my divorce but um, yeah not having insurance and also thinking that I could handle it homeopathically was mm -hmm. something that sadly my body did not agree with was, I tried that as well yeah I think a lot of us try that you know because it's hard to be on all that medication. It really is. There's yeah. side effects to your medication right. that you want to avoid. And so I tried going about it homeopathically, and in 2013, I was hospitalized. 
and for um, for extreme depression with suicidal ideations and um, this was to the point where I couldn't stop crying all day long Um, I was isolating I was in my house alone I wasn't seeing friends. It sounds like what, what I do most of the time, <laughs> Kelly, and I haven't been hospitalized, but, um, which actually is kind of related. I wanted to just throw in there, um, the reason why I think counseling is so important is mm-hmm. to work on all those psychological things mm-hmm. so that we have a stronger core and that we can recognize the mental illness, mm-hmm. um, the chemical parts mm-hmm. um, better. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, um, yeah, I mean that you know that's something like I was saying. That's what I did, and and kind of ended up helping me realize more about the the chemical mood yeah. swings, and Absolutely. that and that it was especially you know when you have those rapid the ultra ultra rapid ones you know mm-hmm. I, I don't have them too often where I'm on rare occasions with medication changes where I'm literally changing um, my mood like every half an hour or something like mm-hmm. that you know mm-hmm. where you think that are am I crazy like yeah. am I am I imagining this. Uh, and, I, and I've learned that no, it, it, but I couldn't have gotten to the no part if I hadn't learned to focus on learning how to tap into what am I feeling now? Mm-hmm. Like, not just the chemical feelings, but do I have a reason to be feeling mm-hmm. sad right now? You mm-hmm. know, does something trigger it? Um, and understanding no, I'm not imagining it. This is, this. you know, I am, my feelings are going up and down and... Um, having that strong core and knowing who you are, mm-hmm. um, you know, really, really helps a lot. So I'm just bringing that up to help other, you know, so again, not first acknowledging what you're saying and then also hoping, uh, you know, to encourage other people who are listening to this podcast to go to counseling because mm-hmm. everyone has issues. We all have issues, yeah. but yeah. if you, if you have strong personality issues, uh, self-esteem issues, and then you add a mental illness on top of that, it just... It's like fuel to the fire. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, it, it, you know, it's, it doubles the symptoms, but it does. It just, if you, that's that's a really good analogy, fuel to the fire. Yeah. It just kind of makes everything worse. Yeah. You know, it was interesting too, because when I became aware in 2010 of borderline, and was diagnosed with borderline in addition to bipolar. So much was made clear. So mm-hmm. much. It was like, it was this aha moment mm-hmm. of like, everything made sense. Right. And it was through intensive counseling, intensive programs that I, you know, wellness programs that I was a part of and I went through and, and I realized that things were not my fault my illness was not my fault because I always thought that I had control of bipolar. Like I, I somehow <laughs> thought that I should be able to manage it. I should be able mm. to think myself out of it mm. or right. 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 Um, and realizing that it was a, a chemical condition, you know, um, I forgave myself for and a that, lot of it. And I just want to point out that that is, I think one of the most important things for 
those of us who suffer, whether it's from a mental illness or psychological symptoms, is to forgive mm -hmm. yourself. Mm -hmm. That's huge. Exactly. Exactly. Life changing. It was life changing. And, you know, I went through so many different, you know, treatment programs and ways to heal. And I mean, I became a addict, marijuana addict for 12 years of my life, you know, dealing with the headaches and the mood changes and it would make me feel better. But then I would have psychotic features from smoking too much, mm. you know, and, and that became, it became, it would exacerbate it. So I would try marijuana. I would try different That was with the antidepressant or not? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and then I went holistically, um, and then I got really into Reiki and, um, but then I started thinking that, you know, talk about ideations. I mean, I was like, thinking that I was like this great healer and I could like place my hands upon people and they would magically be healed and I could <laughs> heal myself. And I used to, I mean, a lot of this was under the influence of marijuana too. So. Interesting. But, um, but I went through so many different therapies in the years of like 2010 to 2016 and um, tried a lot of different things. And I, I was open to a lot of things. I finally got covered um, after my covered with insurance after mm -hmm. Obamacare came out mm -hmm. and um, I was hospitalized in 2013 with intense depression and um, that was the first time I had ever been put on a mood stabilizer and it was Abilify and that is when everything fell into place for me it really was so this is kind of off a little off topic but mm -hmm. regarding medication um you're the second friend who the first uh, mood stabilizer they were put on was abilify and um but you you had good insurance then was it good health insurance the first time i got on abilify i was um put on medi-cal okay see because my doctor hasn't prescribed abilify to me mm -hmm. Um, taking Seroquel mm -hmm. and my girlfriend's on a bill five. She had great experience with that mm -hmm. and I'm like, why why don't I, they not prescribe a bill for me? And so I decided that it was because I'm on Medi-Cal and um, It's too expensive. So that's why I asked about that. Well now I get the the generic format of Abilify. Oh, they have a generic. Yeah, okay. they have a generic and a Originally, when they first put me on it, I couldn't afford it and it wasn't covered in the formulary, but the company that manufactures Abilify gave it to me free of charge. Right. Yeah, through a program, yeah. And that was a godsend. That was an absolute godsend. And um, I had never experienced being on a mood stabilizer. <laughs> and so what, what originally happened was I had a very flat effect. Mm, too high, maybe? or Low. Like no, I just, mean the meds was oh, the medication was too, it high? too high. No, I think I think I just started experiencing a new normal. I oh, wasn't bouncing okay. off the walls. I wasn't having these rapid thoughts, you know, right. the, these um, flight of ideas. You were stable? I was stable. Yep. I know. Isn't, isn't that a trip, it right? It was a little boring for a while <laughs> because I had been a drama junkie. Okay. I mean, especially okay. after my divorce, being single again. Um, trying to find my way. Yeah. Um, I and and I really re I realized how much I was addicted to drama. 
you know, mm-hmm. yeah. the ups and the downs and the feelings and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, when I started having less feelings, <laughs> it, it was really challenging for me. But, um, you know, on a, on a negative note, I've gained significant amount of weight on my medication. Yeah, thank you, mood stabilizers, right? Yeah, I mean, I've gained over 100 pounds. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the, uh, that's one of the reasons why I don't want to raise mine. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to stay in my clothes, I have to walk regularly. Yeah. I have to exercise regularly. Yeah. I, it, to me, it's all about my diet. I found out a few years ago that I had a lot of food allergies. Mm. And when I stopped eating the foods that I was allergic to, I lost 90 pounds. Because wow. I've always been a little heavier lost 90 pounds and then I gained it back over the course of a few years because I crave carbs like mad. You know, I think that's the medication because I do too. Yeah. Or the other thing I I discovered for me is that the mood stabilizer um, gave me hypothyroidism or made my thyroid worse. I think I I had a little bit of um, hypothyroidism that, um, and I can't think of what they call it, but it doesn't show up on the THS um, subclinical mm-hmm. um, and then the the mood stabilizer um, but my T3 was negative or okay. abnormal it was low um, and then after going on the mood stabilizer um, I became officially you know low or high THS and hypothyroid THC THS no THC is what's in marijuana that's in marijuana see I'm on the marijuana still I miss it (laughs) um wait I was thinking um I forget what all the different things are but I was also diagnosed T3 T4 T3 and TSH 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 yeah that's um yeah I was diagnosed with hypothyroidism when I was 19 see there is there's a tie. there's a correlation mm-hmm. between bipolar disorder and thyroid because mm-hmm. um, especially people on lithium and I've said this before in my podcast I don't like lithium I think it's a dangerous drug drug I know it's helped a lot of people but also people that have been on, that are on lithium long term um, one of my friends got thyroid cancer oh um, another one got Parkinson's. Parkinson's is really hard word to say. Parkinsonism. Oh wow. Um, the symptoms of Parkinson's. Well, just like Robin Williams. Yeah. Um, you know he was bipolar. I don't know if he was on lithium, but I'm guessing he probably was because he ended up with Parkinson's. They said, but I think it was because of again the lithium. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and if you look in this the side effects of lithium, you can get those symptoms. But anyways, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. sort of getting off track a little bit. Yeah, I mean, symptomology is so tough. I've gone through so many symptoms, extreme shaking, dizziness, migraines, um, weight gain. But you know, my mom always jokes with me and she says, I would rather have a chubby Kelly that's happy in here than mm-hmm. no Kelly. That's nice. And um, so, you know, I've gotten a lot of support from my family and, um, and, it, and it's true. It's, you know, I've, I've come to be in this new normal phase. I still cycle. I still cycle and I still experience ups and downs. Yeah. I'm able to manage it better because I'm 43 now and um, I'm able to see it for what it is. I'm able to kind of put it aside and, 
say, okay, this is what's happening with my body. And um, some mindfulness there. Yeah, tons of mindful therapy, mindfulness therapy and stuff like that. Has uh, It's been very influential with how I see my illness now. Great. So Kelly, I know that both of us are pretty involved now in um, groups and outreach mm -hmm. regarding mental illness. Um, you had a blog, which I would love you to put it up again. And you know what? I don't use my real name for my blog, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. if that encourages you to put it back up, I would ask you to put it back up because I'd love to read it. Um, but um, it's now a book. Oh well, I'll, even I'll better. I'll give you a copy of the book. Awesome, even <laughs> even better. Um, I know for myself, one of the things I recently got involved in is um, Nami's. Um, you know, National what is, National Alliance, Alliance on Mental Illness. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I always forget the A, National Alliance on Mental Illness. A um, lot of great program support there. Um, I recently got trained, um, well, somewhat recently, uh, several months ago, but on um, NAMI has a program called In Your Own Voice, mm -hmm. um, where we go and speak to people that are in mental health hospitals, people, you know, in the hospital, mm -hmm. currently hospitalized. And we just basically tell them our story and, and mm -hmm. um, to help give them encouragement and realize that they're not alone. Um, although I, um, I've i only done two of them because I've been too depressed to go regularly. Aww. And I've kind of stopped doing it. But um, uh, I actually, I now would like to, um, I'd like to go and talk to um, clinic, uh, like grad students and, mm -hmm. and clinics about mm -hmm. both my sleep disorder and what it's like to be mixed bipolar mm -hmm. disorder because both of those are not diagnosed enough. But anyways, enough about me. Mm -hmm. I know you're super involved, so we know that you've blogged for um, Bipolar Hope and as well, and then you're involved with NAMI too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I serve on the board of the no local affiliate. And um, I also have been trained in, in our own voice, I think you know, and that was fundamental in sharing my truth and letting people know um, that they're not alone. Mm -hmm. They, their symptoms, you know, people have, you know, danced on tabletops in Mexico before, they will in the future, <laughs> you're not alone in that. Um, hey, I like to do that even if I'm not hypomanic. <laughs> it's a good, healthy thing to do. <laughs> um, but, you know, when you share your story, the power of it yeah. um, lessens. The power that it has over you lessens. And you realize how similar we all are and how we've all experienced similar things. And it's really good for people who are hospitalized and especially those that... Um, have them, you know, maybe it's their first time or second, you know, just early hospitalizations or new to medication, mm -hmm. um, haven't dealt with the um, stigma fully yet, mm -hmm. which unfortunately there's still, you know, it's getting better. Yeah. Um, but there still is a lot of stigma. Like we were both discussing how, well, for instance, for you, you, you know, um, you don't, you, you don't want to put your blog up because you use your name and you know you, if you're looking for work people could mm -hmm. search on that um for me i was just talking to another friend that has bipolar disorder mm -hmm. um he's uh, bipolar one and he's he tends to be on the hypomanic side mm -hmm. more than anything mm -hmm. and i am always like gosh i 
darn I wish I was like yeah, so I wish lucky. I had that I want that I know he's so lucky like I am dealing with depression too much um, but he and I often talk about how we would love to come out of mm-hmm. you know so to speak on Facebook mm-hmm. and share you know hey this is what I have and this is what I go through um, but we know that related to work yeah no one would want to hire us it's a very real problem. I mean, I go through long periods of unemployment where I have to do consulting because um, I think that, well, I know when you Google my name, all of my history with bipolar comes up. I mean, my blogs, you know, my websites that I've had, the coaching that I've done in the past surrounding mental health, it's, it's all out there. And it can be very scary for an employer. But um, I... I continue to check that box that I have a disability on my applications. I continue to do in our own voice. I continue to serve on the board. I continue to fight the stigma to show that people who are very ill can also achieve great things. That's that's a really good point. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, I'd like to take it to a notch higher than that and say that People with bipolar disorder are super smart and super creative. Absolutely. And and there's a lot to do with that being in that hypomanic state or manic state where the brain, you know, it's like brain on on ten Red Bulls. I don't know, but <laughs> you know, there's a, you know definitely definitely a connection. Um, and even a book, um, Brain on Fire, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Written about that. You know, it's it's a gift. It's a gift if you are able to harness it with medication, with therapy, um, with giving back and, and looking out of yourself and, you know, giving back, which is why I think things like this podcast is so important so that people can recognize it's not a diagnosis of failure. Um, you don't have to lose because you're bipolar. You don't have to experience a life of um, having less. You can achieve so much because we are gifted with so many talents and creativity and, um, and empathy, ultimately, when you yeah. come to a point of health. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I've been wanting to say to you, um, acknowledge, is I remember the first time I went to our support group and um, you know we go around and we tell people what our diagnosis is and I remember you saying um, bipolar of course but also borderline personality disorder and even now I was like still really surprised because you so do not give off I would say now I don't see that I mean Mm -hmm. maybe you can see if you still have symptoms left but Mm -hmm you do not radiate that mm-hmm, personality mm-hmm. disorder mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously you've, you've made great strides in that. Thank God for therapy. Yeah, thank <laughs> I, exactly. Myself, mm-hmm. um, I, I'm pretty sure I was borderline and nar- a little narcissistic, mm-hmm. you know, um, definitely the borderline. And and um, I, I haven't, I didn't realize that until recently, mm-hmm. you know, is like, I think I had some of that then, mm-hmm. but through counseling, 20 years of counseling, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I'm just so happy to be the person I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, but in hearing you talk, you know, 
that big hole. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I just was relating, um, definitely relating yeah. to some of those symptoms. So I just want to say, great job oh, and thank you, amazing. And honestly, I don't even think that diagnosis fits you anymore. Yeah, I consider myself to be in remission. You know, a recovered borderline. How yeah, about recovered. Well, I I say remission because I do have flare-ups, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but it's been few and far between, especially in the last you know with the borderline in the last several years. Um, The therapy has helped personal responsibility, accepting responsibility, being responsible for my actions. That's been instrumental. Yeah, if I only could have certain family members do that too. Yeah, if only we could save the world. (laughs) So Kelly, um, I just want to mention one more thing before we wrap up and, Mm -hmm. and that was sort of on the creativity and, and ending on a positive note mm-hmm. and how we can make our lives better and not be, you know, see it as a gift instead of a limitation. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, that's been really important now because, um, you know, my, my disability has just gotten a lot worse and mm-hmm. the depression's gotten worse as I've gotten older. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been hanging, what, what I'm holding on to is... Um, not only uh, a book I had started, but another book I finished that I want to rewrite. But lately, um, because I did get into film a while back, is a screenplay mm-hmm. um, that I am planning to write. And, um, you know, that's, that's part of that bipolar creativity. We're mm-hmm. always wanting to create, produce. And um, uh, it's the one thing that's really keeping, you know, through my difficulties right now and the depression and the financial stress and, and other stresses, um, you know, holding on to that, mm-hmm. knowing that it's a good idea and I can do it. Um, but also being realistic, you know, not being, um, hypomanic, um, uh, dealing more with depression, but not being hypomanic. And the other thing, um, I was re- remembering just right now was, um, um, when you're talking about, um, gosh, and I just, I just forgot it again. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's the medication. It's med brain. <laughs> I, well, I see it's a combination of, of drugs and sleep deprivation. I, it's, I think it's mostly sleep de- deprivation I'm having right now. Um, cause I had a, I woke up early, earlier than I usually do. And yeah. I just, I hate that. Those thoughts that just get they're they good just, thoughts and they then disappear, they just disappear in the into the cloud. So, uh, so I'm just going to stop there and I'm going to say thank you so much for joining me in this podcast. It's been so awesome having you. Um, your stories are great. You've had so much to share. And I'm sure everyone listening feels the same way. And um, good luck with everything in, you know, coming your way in the future and and remember those gifts the thank gifts thank you and thank you for doing this podcast it's so important you bet thank okay. you all right lastly i just want to first thank you guys for all your support i so appreciate all the great reviews and comments that you've already left and please ask that you can continue them the reason why I do this is to help people. And when I get your feedback through your great reviews or comments um, and sharing, then I feel like that this is worth it. And it helps encourage me to go on 
and especially to keep doing this. So please, I would appreciate if you could take the time to leave me feedback, obviously positive feedback preferred. Um, I, that would just be wonderful. Um, and that allows me to move higher up in these podcast apps to reach more people. And that's the goal. That's what I want to do is to help you and your loved ones. I also want to remind you that I have a blog, um, that's bipolarmixed.wordpress.com. So it's the disordered first bipolar, then mixed, M-I-X-E-D, wordpress.com. Lastly, I have to thank my friend Jill Moran for her wonderful music in the beginning and the end. She is a composer and she recently started out um, doing composing for film and podcasts and everything else you can think of. Um, she did an original score for me. She can do um, music for you, and she um, is very reasonable uh, and moving up quickly. You can reach her on Twitter at jillmimo.com. That's J as in Jill, I L L M as in Mary, I is in India, M as in Mary, O, uh, Jill at or at jillmimo on twitter.com. Uh, okay, thanks, guys. Um, Uh, God bless you. I wish you well. Hang in there and I will see you next or talk to you next time.